remain standing, if you would, as we open our Bibles. We open our Bibles to the book of First John. First John chapter number three. Can you believe it? We made it to chapter three. I'm sure many of us have experienced in some way, shape, or form someone perhaps um, praying or perhaps teaching a sort of name it and claim it theology. Uh, they believe that all you need to do is ask for something and God will do it. And uh, the teaching goes something like, if you don't get what you prayed for, then your faith must not be very strong. And so, before we dismiss the children, I would like to read from 1 John chapter number 3, starting in verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knew us, knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Children, you're dismissed, and while they make their way out, let's bow for prayer. Father, we come before you asking that you would open our eyes open our minds, and open our hearts that we may be able to see you, see you correctly in the pages of Scripture. And Father, we ask that you would watch over this portion of the service, be with every aspect of it from the children next door to the message here, that we would not be distracting, that we would not be a distraction but that we would commit this time to you to hear what you have to say, what you desire to teach, and what you want us to do. We pray all of this in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you'll excuse me while I silence my phone, and you all can do the same if you are so inclined. You know, when we look at some of these uh, uh, people that try to teach this idea of sort of a name it and claim it, I'm afraid that sometimes we rob ourselves of blessings because we're so busy fighting off improper doctrine. And we rob ourselves of some blessings. We've heard these statements, uh, and for many of us, they, they are kind of offensive even, this, this idea that you... You uh, treat God as some sort of cosmic vending machine. Uh, we kind of view it as demeaning and disrespectful, to say the least. So we teach that it's only when we're living right that we have any, any cause to be able to reach out to ask Him of anything. Uh, and and uh, you know, we teach that everyone has to be in the will of God in order to have your prayers heard. And, and, and I'm not dismissing any of that. 
But what sadly happens if we're not careful, we reserve ourselves to losing out on some of the greatest blessings that the Father offers to us. When we close up and we try to blame Him, well, it must not have been in His will. It must not have been what He wanted. And I actually heard uh, a, a man I was speaking with, a gentleman one time, and he was talking about his wife and uh, daughters. Uh, it must not be God's will for them to get saved because they have not gotten saved. And I, I, I said, that's, that's not biblical. God is not willing that any should perish but that all come to repentance. That's His desire. And the problem isn't in, in, in His will. Sometimes I wonder if the problem isn't in our desire to see things come to fruition, in our uh, ability to spend time in prayer. Um, in this morning when I was doing my devotions, now I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the topic of prayer in my personal devotional life, and I came across the... Uh, the story of the man who wanted some bread and he was knocking on the door and he was knocking on the door and he was knocking on the door begging for bread. And the whole purpose of that is to, uh, for us to see that we have this right, we have this ability, we have this freedom to be able to come to God at any moment's notice. The man came at midnight and we can come to him with any request and he, he will hear us. He will hear us. But I came across another truth that in, in one of my earlier devotions this week, and I thought it was so fitting. Uh, if we are referred to as the children of God, then much of our mis misunderstanding of God's expectation of us can be found in that relationship. Realize for just a moment that even though there are differences in, uh, in children's ages and abilities, uh, uh, at the very core, children are, guess what? Children. And the older they get, the more they become less like children. And they start to work their ways into the teenage years and then into, uh, into adulthood. And they start to take on more responsibility. They start to... Uh, to uh, uh, to grow and to mature. And that is the heart and the desire of every parent is to see their child growing up. You know, you, you hear moms oftentimes say things like, oh, I just wish they would always be babies. If they never grew, there would be a problem. Let's just let's just be honest. There's there's, uh, you know, and, and as cute as those little things can be, you know, my kids are fun now, you know. They were boring when they first came along. I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I love kids and I love babies, but I'm going to tell you, it's just, they, they're, they're boring. They're boring. They eat, they sleep, and they defecate. That's it. Mix in some screaming. That's what a child is. Right? But then they get older and they start to start to use their words, they start to say things, and they start to get a little more interesting, and then, then they use their words and they lose their interesting appeal because they're using their words in certain ways that you're just thinking, shut up, you know. I, maybe I'm the only one that goes through that. But then there are times when they just make you so proud and you're like, oh, man, you're, you're growing up. You really acted like a young woman. You acted like a young man. And so you start to see these things and the, the way they grow. But there's a difficulty of trying to be perfect 
in order to gain acceptance by God. Beloved, let me say it this way. God does not necessarily demand that we fulfill the law perfectly. Now, perfection is the standard in order to have a relationship with Him. But He knows you can't. The issue is not so much about God demanding us to fulfill the law perfectly. All God requires of His children is our childlike, wholehearted surrender to live as children with Him in obedience and in truth. He asks nothing more, but He will accept nothing less. He will accept nothing less. As a parent, I don't expect my children to be perfect at everything when they first started. My kids started doing the dishes and dishwasher duty and everything at four years old. As soon as they were able... Here, put this in there. Here, put this in there. Guess what? They're not going to do it perfectly. It, it doesn't happen. After years of, you know, you work with them, you try to show them, you, you show them where they messed up, you show them how to get things, you know, you know, you don't put it on the top rack, you put it on the bottom rack. Nope, you put, don't put these on the bottom rack, you put these on the top rack. You can't do it that way. And don't use the Dawn dish detergent in the dishwasher, right? Yeah, we, we do all those kind of things. We help them learn over the years. We, we show them, we train them. When they mess up, then we, we, we don't come to them, we don't yell at them for not being perfect. Now, when I was growing up, it wasn't a matter of me not being perfect. It was a matter of I just didn't pay attention. I just didn't care. I'd just get it done as quick as we can so that I can go back outside because there's a world outside that I want to be part of and those dishes have zero to do with that world outside. And so those dishes had zero interest to me. And so let's just get it done. I've had to reload and rewash dishes more times than I care to think. You know, I, I don't expect them to be perfect on their first try. I expect them to try. I expect them to do their best. Uh, sadly, for many Christians today, they only know, uh, uh, the only thing that they really kind of know about God, that they really kind of see about God, is that He is called the Father. But they don't actually understand what that means. It's, it's necessary for us to realize what the name Father implies and what it is to be His children. Look again, if you would, at our passage for this morning. Notice what He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, <clears throat> It's important for us to see this and what it is that, it, that, it is, it, that the writer is trying to capture our attention to. Uh, you'll see this behold, this pay attention. He says, behold, pay attention, notice something here. But then he says, what manner of love? This word, what manner, it, it, it's, it's patapas, it's the Greek word. And it's always in the New Testament, always used in reference to something of great amazement. Whoa. Notice this. Look closely at this. This is something that's amazing. This is something that's going to blow your mind is what the writer is saying. What manner of love? John is not pointing to an amount of love, but to a love of high quality. Now, I don't know about anybody else. Some of you all are used to Florida weather. I'm still not. And so the jacket's got to come off. So, so, but... But don't, don't miss what we've got before us here. He says, Behold what manner of love 
The Father hath bestowed upon us. The Father, God, the heavenlies. In the Old Testament, you're not seeing God referenced as a father-son relationship. God is high and holy. Jesus introduces to us this idea of father and son relationship. Jesus brings it about. And He lets us know right off the bat when He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father. Our Father. It was a term of endearment that was given. This, uh, this, this Abba is, is used with uh, Paul's writings as well. It's this term of endearment, Daddy. And it's a term of connection. It was something that the, to the Jewish people that day, it was a little, it was a little further off. Uh, we're, we're not to be, uh, to be you know, bringing him down to that level as like a, a dad. No, 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 no. But Jesus introduces it and He says, this is the type of relationship that the Father wants you to have. The type of relationship of a child crawling up into the lap of his, his daddy saying, I've got problems, I've got an issue here, I need help. I can remember as a kid, there were times where I would get hurt and, and, and you know, I'd fall off my bike or something would happen and I'd be crying and my, my leg would be, uh, would, be, would be bleeding. Maybe I'd, I'd hit something and, and I would go running to the porch to where mom or dad or my grandparents were. My grandfather was a sadistic individual and he would laugh. Now, we grew up in the hills of West Virginia and so, you know, it, that's what we do, right? We just, we, it, you just laugh. When people get hurt, you laugh. And I asked him one time and threw tears, Granddad, why do you laugh every time I get hurt? He says, I can laugh or I can cry. Which one do you want me to do? Okay. Cry. No. I was crying. I wanted him to cry too. But as, as a child, when you're hurt, when things aren't right, you turn to Daddy, to Mommy. This is the relationship that the Father wants for us to have. Now, there's, there's a couple words that we typically overlook in Scripture. They are connecting words that sometimes we just completely ignore. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. And if you continue to read, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. That word because... It is a, uh, another form of this same word. You have in Greek what they call henna and hoti. The henna and hoti clauses. Uh, henna and hoti, are, this, this is the boring part, so don't fall asleep. Make sure your neighbor wakes up here in just a minute. In the Greek, you have these henna and hoti. The hoti gives the idea of because X happens, then Y takes place. Where henna says X takes place in order for Y to take place. And so what we can see with this, this word that in the midst of this uh, verse number one, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. The word that there is actually showing that the outcome or the whole point of God's love being bestowed upon us is so that we could be known as the children of God. Don't miss this. Because so often we think to ourselves that, uh, that we understand, we know what the reason is for, uh, for what He did and everything. No, 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 no. He loved us so much, He sent His Son to die for you so that you could be called His child. Don't overlook that. Don't 
let it just go past you. Yeah, I know we're children of God. No, beloved. The Creator and Sustainer of the universe, the One who has all power, who spoke the worlds into existence, wants you to be His child. Wants to be your daddy. There's a lot of people with daddy issues today. And they don't like that idea of God being a father because they compare the heavenly father to what they know of as in an earthly father. Don't let the failures of earthly fathers taint the picture of your heavenly father. Listen, I, I make mistakes and I tell the kids all the time, please forgive me for being me. But the Heavenly Father never lets us down. Andrew Murray says of this relationship, he says, this divine attitude is beyond our comprehension and we must feel how impossible it is for us to understand God's readiness to hear us. Those who only want to know the love of the Father when they have something to ask will be disappointed. The sad thing, the sad truth, the sad reality is many people don't want God. They just want what God can do for them. That's the truth. And if we can only understand the relationship that is being offered by God, He says, I want you to have this relationship with me. And so many people are too busy digging their heels in over everything else. I don't want to give up this. I don't want to go this place. I don't want to say those things. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have this. I don't want Him to rule my life. But I want Him to bless me. I want Him to answer my prayers when I'm ready. I want Him to do the things that I want Him to do. I want Him to be what I want Him to be, but I don't want Him to be what He wants me to be. And we're not worshiping God. It's idolatry. Because we have created a God out of our own minds and our own thoughts. And this is the way He should be. And that's a false God. That's not the true God. God wants to be your father. Listen, my dad, he was a strict dad. And nothing could strike fear into the heart of an 18-year-old punk like looking up off to the distance and seeing a rebuilt 71 uh, Volkswagen Beetle. You think a Volkswagen Beetle would strike fear? Yes, because the guy driving it could kill me. And there were times I did not want that guy to be my dad. Why can't you just ignore me like some of my friends' dads do? God wants to be your father. Not just the man upstairs. Not just the... The, the guy that answers your requests and you know, oh, I got a test today. Lord, help me pass this test. No. Nah. Lord, I, I need a parking spot. I don't have time to walk that far, so I need a close parking spot. Lord, I'm sick. He wants to be your father. He wants to have that relationship with you where He spends time with you and you spend time with Him, talking to Him and getting to know Him. He desires so much more than to be our spiritual ATM machine. He desires a relationship with us. 
It says that the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. There's that other clause. You had the henna clause with the that in the because, that's your haughty clause. In keeping with the idea that we've seen in chapter 2 of knowing who truly is a child of God, they went out from us because they were not of us. John indicates why the world rejects the true believer is because the world has not known Him. It has rejected God. The re Beloved, don't, don't be surprised when this world rejects Christians and Christianity. We, we go, well, I don't, what's going on in the world today? They've rejected Christ. You're no better. And Jesus even said it in John chapter 15. He says, if they've rejected me, you're going to be rejected. Don't be upset when the world hates you. Hated me first, he says. And when they reject Christ, they reject the God that we serve, why in the world would we be surprised that they reject us and our ideas or our thoughts? Of course they don't want creation to be true. They don't want God to be true. Of course they don't want uh, things to, to be right and to be wrong. They don't want God to be who determines those things. They want to determine it in their own heart and in their own mind. And they have become gods unto themselves. Understand this. The world does reject God. If you were to look at, at uh, keep your hand here in 1 John and go back to the Gospel of John, John chapter number 15. We've been referencing this over the uh, past couple weeks here. But in John chapter 15, look at verse 21 with me. It says, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Stop for just a minute. Do we realize that when they reject Jesus as God, they reject God? Plain and simple. People don't like to hear that. Jesus said, if they reject me, it's because they don't know the Father, the one that sent me. Let's keep going here. Verse 22. He says, uh, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. In other words, he says, I've been here, I've revealed myself, they have no excuse. He that hateth me, hateth my Father also. None of this, let's just all come together and sing Kumbaya. Well, you know, we accept Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. You don't accept Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, but we're all going to the same place. Wrong. Wrong. If you hate the Son, you hate the Father. You can't love the Father and reject the Son. Do not be surprised, not only when those who profess to be believers reject uh, openly and willingly. Don't be surprised also when those who profess to be believers don't recognize you. Get this. The world will reject you. But you know there are some who claim to be believers who also reject. It's because they don't know Him. They don't know Him. Now this, this is not my words. Well, Pastor, you're being awful harsh. Take it up with John. He penned it. Take it up with the Holy Spirit. He inspired it. 
Don't be surprised when those who profess to be believers do not recognize someone as a child of God. They may not know Him. There are many churches today that are not actually following God's Word. They're not actually following the Word of Truth. They are following their own ideas of who God is. They are following their own ideas of what God wants. This is why focusing on the truth of the Word of God is to be of utmost importance. This is to be primary. We don't follow the teachings of men. We don't follow the traditions of mankind. It doesn't matter to me. Don't come up to me and tell me what some preacher said once upon a time. Don't come up to me and tell me what some pastor taught you once upon a time if it doesn't line up with this book. This is where we settle everything. Yeah, but I just don't think my dad would be wrong. Does it line up with Scripture? Well, then I'm sorry to tell you, Daddy was wrong. If it doesn't line up with this book, it's not truth. Many churches today, sadly, are following a man's teaching rather than God's teaching. Now, I want to give a word of caution to this. If you were to look in Romans chapter 14, you're welcome to turn there with me if you want, or just jot this down. But Romans 14 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, I, I really think, as a pastor anyway, I really think 99.999% of problems within churches today would be solved if people would just study Romans chapter 14. They would just pick up what the Lord's putting down in this passage, Notice what he says, starting in verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. In other words, quit arguing. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let, him, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You know, I think we would really solve a lot of church arguments if we just went there. If I believe one way and you believe another way, listen, I'm not talking, before you come up and say, well, what about... I'm not talking about the fundamentals, the foundations of Christian faith. There is one way of salvation. There is one God. There is one Lord, Christ Jesus. He is the second person of the triune God. He was virgin born. He was sinless. He died. He was buried dead, buried, and He rose again the third day. He ascended up into heaven. I'm not talking about when someone comes along and says, well, I don't think Jesus actually rose from the dead physically. I think He was just an apparition. I, you know what? Back off me, son. I'm talking about the little things. The minutia. Well, you're not allowed to eat certain kinds of meat. Well, I'm allowed to eat any kind of meat. Well, you're not allowed to celebrate certain kinds of holidays. Well, you can celebrate any kind of holiday. That's what he's talking about. The person who holds those things shouldn't look down on or despise the other one. So, a word of caution in our passage before us here. 
we dare not fall into the trap of thinking that everyone who fails to see our form of worship, our form of doctrine, our form of Christianity as unsaved. I'm telling you, way too many churches. We only fellowship with people that sing the same kind of songs, read the same kind of books, dress the same kind of way. We only fellowship with people of like minds. Beloved, there's a great difference between standing firm on the fundamentals of the faith and standing firm on preferences. But I want us to notice what John is trying to do here. He is trying to appeal to the believer to recognize their noble parentage and live according to the dignity of this title. You are children of God. Live like it. Live that way. You know what's going to be the most amazing thing when we get to heaven? We're going to be surprised by two things. First, we're going to be surprised by who's not there that we thought was going to be there. And the second thing is who's there that we thought, they're not going to touch heaven. We're going to be blown away by those things. I believe the, the most beautiful part of all of this is what we are called to recognize. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not, beloved. Now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we, when He shall appear we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. Phrases like this can be tricky to navigate. Now we are the sons of God, but it doesn't yet appear what we're going to be. Let me just try to break it down this way. This, sometimes we, we let the words trip us up. We know what's going on in the present. Here is, here is our present condition, children of God. However, our future is still an unknown to us in that we can't fully see. I know that my future in includes glorification. I know that my future includes a new body, a perfect body. And some people have asked me in the past, what's the perfect body going to be like? What's the new body? Well, those of you who are holding on for dear life to your hair, it's probably going to be bald. So just, this is what you have to look forward to. Just know that. I don't know. I have no clue what the perfect body is going to be like. Scripture's silent in that part of it. What I do know is that my eyes will be completely open. I'll understand it better. I'm looking forward to that. If you read verse 2 again, what he says is uh, there in the second half, he says, but we know. Here's what we do know, he says. That when He shall appear, we will be like Him. We'll be like Him. Doesn't mean we're going to be deity. Doesn't mean we're going to be gods. Despite what some popular people try to teach today. That's not what it's saying. The idea of like Him, His appearing brings the light. 
Like him is not the, being like him is not what brings the sight, but it's actually the reverse. When he appears, he will bring light and he will expose everything. At the present, we only see a partial view of what Christ has done for us. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, now we view uh, through a glass dimly, but soon face to face. I don't see everything perfectly yet, but there's coming a day when those blinders will be removed and I'll be able to see Him in all His glory. Our mind can only grasp a small understanding of this reality. But let me put it this way. We are not members of a famous family. You know, there's a lot of people that's like, oh man, I'd love to be part of that family or or whatever it is. We're not members, catch this, we are not even members of the royal family. Prince Harry ain't related to me, just saying. I, I, I'm not even marrying into wealth and prosperity. My wife married down, I married up. I get that. And I'm thankful that she has bad eyesight at the time. I don't know. But see, here's what we do is we think to ourselves in, in physical matters. Do you realize we are children of the God of heaven and earth? And people are like, well, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up golfing on Sundays to go to church. It has nothing to do with that has everything to do with you get to be a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one to whom all royalty bows before. Then we see this other part here. Look at verse 3. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is the the Greek for him there's altos refers back to the previous person of topic what we find in verse 2 which is God we know uh, that the one who shall appear is Christ and some people have argued whether or not uh, verse 3 every man that hath this hope in him is the him referring to Jesus or is the him referring to God here's the answer yes Jesus is God, so it's okay. We don't have to argue, all right? We know what is being said here. Those who have their hope in Jesus, the hope for His return, the hope to see Him, to be like Him, John is referring here to true believers. He says, every man that hath this hope, every man that is putting their hope in Christ, not in their goodness, not in what they do, not in what they, how they have acted, not in where they have gone, not in how much money they put in the offering plate, not in how many times they've, uh, their attendance book has been checked, not in how, uh, how many missions trips they've gone on, not on uh, whether or not their wife wears certain types of clothing or, their hus or the husband uh, goes to certain kind of places. He's not saying, do you base it on that? What is your hope in? Your hope is nothing less in nothing less than Jesus' blood. And righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But I wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
This is not meant to be a phrase of judgment here, this idea of true believers. But I want us to see, Romans 8.14 says it this way, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so one could actually render this statement. Notice in verse 3, it says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. Beloved, this is not saying that you in and of your own ability have the, have the uh, power to purify yourself. You, you don't have that. You don't. That's not what is being said here. What is being said is that the true believer will pursue holiness because he will try and try and try and try and try to get closer to the Lord. He's going to be pursuing God. Pursuing a relationship. And in doing so, he becomes more pure. You know, I'm not sinless, but I do sin less. Because the closer I get to him, the more like him I become. Also note, the next phrase could actually give the understanding here. He purifies himself even as he is pure. Talking about God and his purity. The word for as is kathos, which means in like manner. So just like or according to. In other words, what could literally be said is every man, every true believer, every man that has their hope in God, true believers, purify himself or pursues purity as God himself is pure. Pursues the purity of God. That's what's being said in this. You know, it kind of puts the kibosh on anyone saying that Christ died to set me free from having to live a certain way. <laughs> no. Christ died to purchase you, to make you God's child. Live like it. That's what he's saying. Live like it. You see, we need to get this right. We need to get it right. So often we make learning to be holy something that we are to strain at. Like going to school, hoping to come home to make our father proud that we got good grades. No, 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 no. Holiness is learned at home with the help of the Father. You know the problem with our school system? Brother Todd and I were talking about this not too long ago. There's a lot of issues in the school system today. And both my parents were educators. My dad was in the school system. My mom was in the school system. I, I, I can tell you from, from experience what's going on. But parents, by and large, have abdicated their responsibility to raise their children. And it's not just in the school system, but they bring their child to Sunday school, put them in a Sunday school class, and never spend time with them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and think that they have done their Deuteronomy 6 responsibility. And then when the child goes wrong and things happen to run amok, they blame the church, they blame the school, anybody but themselves. That's not the kind of father we have in God. He says, I want to train you. I want to teach you. That's why He says, study of me. That's why He says, learn of me. That's why He calls us to have a life of prayer. Men ought always to pray. We are to spend time in the Word of God. We're to spend time here with Him. We're to spend time communing with Him. Anything else is just us. 
Some of you didn't catch that, but the teens might have. But here's what I want you to understand. We have to make it a reality. The cross of Jesus is not what makes God love you. The cross of Jesus is because God loves you. You think I'm crazy? John 3.16 says, For God so loved that He gave. Romans 5.8 says, God commended His love toward us even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. That's the love of the Father that He pours out on His children. In John, we've also got it all through. The love of God is all around. We'll be getting into it as we go through John chapter 3, John chapter 4 and into 5. The love of God is just all over. Here in His love, verse 17, here in His love made perfect that we may be the, may have the boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. So how do you see this in your own personal life? Listen, there's nothing that can make, us, make God love us more. There's nothing that can make Him love us less. How do you see yourself in this? Let's make it personal. Do you only see the rules and the regulations, the lifestyle that we're called to live? Do you only see it as a drudgery and a pain? Do you see the loss of enjoyment? Uh, well, I can't go to these kind of places. I can't do these kind of things. And I'm not supposed to act that way. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor and all these different things. You don't know my neighbor. Do you just see the restrictions? Stop. Stop. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. If that's all you see, it's time to take a step back and behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Do you realize this morning that God could have saved mankind without making him his children? <laughs> he could have just said, yeah, we'll pay for it, but I'm not going to let that ruddy kid into my house. That's not what he did. He said, I want to make him, I want to make her my child. That's beautiful. The pain that Jesus endured, the pain that the Father must have endured, He did this willingly. I'll close my Bible so that you know I'm done. You can wake up your neighbor. You know, when I was getting married, I stood up on the platform with the pastor and my best man. And there we stood off to the side and, and we waited. Pastor was right there. My best man was behind me in case I passed out. And I look and I see these ladies and these guys coming down the aisle. You know. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hurry it up, hurry it up, hurry it up. Why do these people walk so slow? You know, 
The poor guy is standing up here. He has been chomping at the bit for weeks for this day. And these people, and the photographer's like, walk slow. He's back here going, speed it up. Then they close those doors, right? And then when the doors open, I was just, that's a, oh, wow. I'll be held. <laughs> that's mine. That's mine. I beheld the love of my life. God has decided. John says, Behold, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us. Behold, He calls you child, He calls you His son. His daughter. Behold the immense love of the Father to send His Son to pour out His blood. Behold the broken Lamb. Behold the love of God to make you His child. Behold. A love like that will elicit a response of willingness to give up anything and to live for Him. Won't you follow Him? Won't you follow Him? Gracious God and Savior, when I think of just how wonderful You are, when I think of just how much You have done for us and the way that You have doted upon us, when I think of the way that You, uh, that you offer to us more exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ask, anything that we could do, Father in heaven, it's just it, it it boggles my mind that you would love me that much. I don't love me that much. But you do. Enough to not just save me, but to call me your son. Not just to forgive me, but to give me a place in your family. Thank you for that, Lord. Help us to never forget. Help us to never lose sight. Help us to always be focused on the God who so loved that He gave and the reality, the truth, that we get the privilege and honor of being called Your children. Thank You for that, Lord. And help us to be diligent to share this with others. To let others know just how much God loves them. We'll be careful to praise You, Father. Now, Lord, use this time to call people to Yourself. If there be any here today, Lord, that does not know You as Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they trust You. Today would be the day that in repentance and faith they turn from themselves and turn to You. Perhaps there's someone here today that they are born again by the Spirit of God, but they have forgotten what it means to be a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray, Father, that You would watch over that heart as well. That You would woo them unto Yourself. Draw them ever closer to You so that they too can understand just how much You love them. Enough to send Your Son so that You would be their Daddy. So, Father, encourage us in this, we pray. Strengthen us in the inner man as a result of it. We pray all this in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus.